Welcome to the Opposable Thumbs podcast. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Kate Conlon is our guest this episode. Greetings, Kate. Hello. My name is Rob Ray. I use the he, his gender pronoun and run the exoskeleton art space in Los Angeles, and I'm a designer here in LA. And I'm Taylor Hokinson, and I'm an artist, an engineer, a DIY evangelist, a CAD CAM enthusiast, noted tall person, and I'm a he, his kind of guy. I'm Kate Conlon. I'm an artist based in Chicago. I teach at SAIC and at Columbia College, where I met Taylor just this past year. Uh, for four years, I co-directed Fernway Gallery, which is an artist-run exhibition space here in Chicago. And that project just ended this past June, and I'm gearing up to start a new publishing project launching in October. Nice. Yeah, Kate, when we met in the uh, Columbia College printmaking facility, it was really funny how many uh, shared interests we could check off just in the like first 60 seconds of our conversation. I know. I, know. I, I kind of can't believe I haven't run into you before given the fact that we're right you know literally working in the in the same building i know okay. such a kind funny thing blew my mind R- rob did i did i tell you about kate's uh whole sort of um artwork based around the difficulty of getting reference images to reproduce han solo's blaster the prop kate wait, wait, would you yeah but wait, would you mind telling that story because I, I feel like i don't know it well enough to ask you exactly how to tell it? I um, I published an artist book in uh, May. It was published by Third Object, who are a super awesome curatorial collective, and designed by our studio with some illustrations by a friend of mine, Rick Blackwell. And basically, it's just a piece of nonfiction. And it tells the story of this group of enthusiasts, specifically uh, this one message board, one thread, in an online message board that's been open for 15 years. And um, (laughs) this international community of like super nerds have been collaborating on trying to recreate that original prop. Um, So the, the Han Solo blaster is kind of special because there only was one prop. Usually in a film, you have multiple objects that Mm -hmm. all represent the, uh, the fictional one. But in this case, there really only was one prop, or maybe there was another one, but in those scenes, probably it wasn't even Han Solo's hands in the shot, so it doesn't count. Uh, oh, I didn't know that tidbit. <laughs> so, well, so, you know, it's it's speculation. So did Han shoot first? There could be like a third existential angle. Han wasn't even there. It's a whole other book. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So anyway, the um, original object was lost or destroyed pretty much immediately after filming. Oh. Uh, they think actually it may have been sold to the British government in a gun buyback, <laughs> which is a really strange uh, it, tidbit. You know, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think Tom Sachs uh, took advantage of a program in New York City where they were doing a gun buyback. So he just had all of his studio assistants make artwork that could be substituted for guns like little zip guns out of pipes and then they would sell them for a you know standard amount of money 75 dollars or whatever it was so yeah there's some nice history for that kind of maneuver oh i didn't know about that i do Mm. know that they're always collecting like muskets and stuff that's not really (laughs) (laughs) yeah it depends on the country right (laughs) right um yeah so anyway on this message board um 
Well, the gun was kind of a Frankenstein of antique weapons parts and then mm-hmm. like little bits of plastic crap that was laying around that they just sort of glued on to make it look more spacey. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. That just gets added to make things look more complex. Right. So these people uh, with very limited reference information have had an unbelievable amount of success figuring out what this object was made of and how it was put together. Mm-hmm. And they're interested in um, like dimensions to a fraction of a millimeter. They're looking yeah. for this kind of Whoa. impossible accuracy. And so that, that involves, I imagine, a bunch of like measuring reference objects for scale and so forth off blurry images and stills. and or, or like, like how do they do it? Exactly. And it gets even more complicated. So like in the Mm -hmm. book, I broke it down into parts of the gun. And um, some of them are you can still find like in antiques weapons auctions. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of them are complete mysteries. So in cases they're using reference photos. And actually, one of the most fun parts of it is that uh, the armorer that supplied the weapons to the film also supplied props to other films. And so they keep finding components of it in other movies or like when they're rerunning 1970s cop shows. So I'll be like, oh my God, there it is. I recognize that scratch and that den. (laughs) (laughs) The components were definitely in films prior. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. after Mm -hmm. the movie, they think it was probably too chopped up to use again. And that's why they discarded it. Like this movie where Frank Sinatra plays a sharpshooter. It's a movie I'd never heard of. And, uh, <laughs> the climax of the story is when the, the guy who's the main character is a, um, a guy named Carson Case who lives in Virginia, and he goes by Deadbolt on the forum. Um, and he's, <laughs> he's sort of the leader of the whole uh, activity. He has all the energy. Um and he was able to identify some of those little plastic components uh-huh. by um, there was a photograph that got released that hadn't been released before that showed a similar component on another prop. And it was the best photo of it in its complete form. And um, he posted that, sent the photos basically to the equal uh, model airplane nerds, like at the same level as the Star Wars people. Mm-hmm. And yes. they were awesome. able to identify it from this 1970s um, model airplane kit, like remote control airplane kit. And yeah. uh, he ordered one and it showed up and he opened the box and the other parts that they were looking for were also a part of that kit. Oh, so like major excitement. So, so <laughs> I'm sorry. So Kate, you, you have created a book that documents this, this journey to create, recreate, the, or identify and recreate the, the pistol. Right, right. So it's an artist book. I think of it as an artwork, and it's sort of, um, it's sort of like I hope so boring that it's interesting again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I don't know. I just thought these guys were so cool. Like the intensity <laughs> put all other artists I know to shame. Like the right. uh, the energy and the um, sort of like dogged persistence was so interesting. And um, so for a while I was thinking like, 
oh, what's my thing? I want to do this too. Like, I, I want to have a holy grail quest <laughs> of yeah. my own. And then I realized that it probably wasn't going to happen just by waiting around for it. Um, and so I thought the next best thing I could do with that kind of material is just tell the story with the same kind of intensity and uh-huh. yeah, fidelity. Yeah. That's great. Are, are you familiar at all with um, John Coster Mullen? Does that mean, mean anything to you? It's familiar. Yeah, I don't think yeah. So. He's he's a he's um he is a he and his son. I think it's primarily his effort, but his son also helps. Have been have wrote uh, like a four hundred and fifty page book called Atomic Bombs: The Top Secret Inside Story of Little Boy and Fat Man, mm-hmm. sitting right here by my mm-hmm. by my desk. <laughs> and um, he publishes it. It's just like made spiral bound out of Kinko's. At least the copy I have is, and. Um, he spent like a good chunk of his life interviewing and like convincing like the Smithsonian to let him in there with like a tape measure and stuff on like <laughs> completely cataloging the functioning little boy and fat man bombs yeah. and like how they worked and stuff because all of it was, you know, top secret and a lot of it still is. And so he's been like working and and he's definitely found like a number of things that like what had been reported from people in the know like their memory was flawed, mm. you know. And he's like, right. well, if you look at this, if you look at this, the diameter of this here, that would be it would fit if that was backwards, you know. Like he's made mm. all these really interesting uh, discoveries, but there's there there feels like definitely some overlap there of like just that intense research um, and also like to. Uh, unpack this both real and fictional almost item in our heads of like uh, a weapon. So yeah, I don't know. You might enjoy the book. It's, it's oh, quite I think good. I definitely would. Yeah. Yeah. It's not too expensive. You can get it on, on Amazon. At least I did a number of years ago and it's, it just comes, I think he just prints them up when someone orders one. You know? <laughs> uh, that is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. My copy got wet sadly, but I'm still holding on to it. It's kind of a weird <laughs> floppy hunk. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Patton Oswald had this great piece, I think in Wired, maybe five or ten years ago, talking about how, at least in his generation, uh, being super obsessed with something, first of all, made you a nerd, and then that was, you know, terribly uncool. But mm. then some of the, the quasi-coolness uh, came from the rarity and the difficulty with which one could obtain the information. Um, so, mm. Kate, do you feel like, is there a sort of Benjaminian aura that you're looking for where it's a group of people that decide that this is super interesting or is it the amount of time that they've invested in it or like what do you think makes it interesting to you now that so many things are just free for the googling you know right right well definitely the mystery novel kind of aspect is Mm -hmm. really compelling to me that forensic story I was really interested in it from an art perspective, especially as a printmaker, like someone who makes multiples. There's always this sort of paradoxical condition that you have multiple objects that all have equal claim to being the original. Right. right? So I'm kind of interested in the possibility of two objects having the same essence or aura or whatever. Oh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And I've, I've made work before about trying to imagine like identities through time as space-time objects. So um, 
I made work about the ship of Theseus paradox. Mm, where as did I, dude? We're like, oh, we're, really? like uh, we're like spirit relatives. Uh, it's how amazing. Strange. How strange. <laughs> what is the paradox? It's the idea that you have a ship made from wooden planks, and over time, planks start to decay, and you have to replace them. Once you've gone all the way through all the planks, do you still have the same ship? And if not, at what point did the original oh. identity get mm-hmm. destroyed and this right. new one was created? Uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. I've owned some cars that suffered that. <laughs> <laughs> there's right. a there's a variant that just tries to streamline it called my grandfather's axe, which is right. if you replace the head and then you replace the handle. Although I like the uh, the ship better because I feel like it gives you that kind of slow grade. Yeah. You know, is is fifty yeah. percent the difference? Is it seventy five or what? Like the axe one, you you kind of think you know the answer more quickly. I made right. a sculpture of that one too. Oh, oh yeah, cool. of the X yeah. specifically. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> super um, weird. Maybe. Uh, wait, hang on. Did did was your dad kind of a rapscallion that spent a lot of time in Florida? <laughs> uh, no, doesn't okay. go that far. <laughs> my uh, yeah, my 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 dad um, produced one one half sibling that I know of, but it's it's always riding around in the back of my head that they could like it could just be anybody, like everybody everybody up. I meet. <laughs> that's it uh, that story is too long for this podcast another time <laughs> i guess i'll have to keep looking <laughs> oh yeah and i want to throw in real quick uh so kate you come on in an auspicious time because our previous guest nigel poor um fantastic artist but also with a, a great podcast of her own ear hustle and that was uh, so we, great we saw quite a few new listeners uh in between our last episode and this one. So if you're coming from uh, Ear Hustle or your connection, Nigel Poor, uh, welcome and check it out. Go go, yeah, go yeah, back and listen to the last 36 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of nervous to go back and listen to number one, Rob. I suppose I should, though. So so I'm I'm craving to see some uh, some experiments. And Rob, I do believe you're Let's first today. Should we do it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I have a, as per the past few episodes... My project is captured in the form of a video. I see a, I see a metal box. Looks like maybe has some pieces of paper or uh, like napkins in it, like one of those napkin dispensers. Now I see something happening, like a rubbing of some floor treatment, like outdoor patio uh, masonry. We have a, a rubbing of, looks like a, um, a metal indicator that says gas. So Rob apparently traveled to um, uh, Europe or something for this, uh, this project, uh, making a rubbing... I'm assuming of some kind of um, uh, utility uh, cap or something like that. Kate, wouldn't you say this is out of country? I'm at second 22. I mean, just based on what you see so far. Let's see. What do I see in the background? Some green bikes. Yeah, mm-hmm. it could be. Those could look pretty be. Euro. <laughs> yeah, so he made a rubbing of one of those little uh, metal caps in the in a municipal area for gas. Mm-hmm. Pretty great one, and then here's one for the uh, uh, water service for Argentina. That's kind of beautiful. 
For sure. It looks kind of watery. It does. I like the stamped concrete everywhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, the telephone one is amazing. Mm. It's kind of like a, a cursive along with diamond plate. Now I see lunch. <laughs> oh, that agua impression's quite nice. Yeah. Plus, it, it picks up that grid that uh, forms in the background. So I see lots of traces of the city, traces of uh-huh. signage, and a journey. Yeah, so so what do you make of um, expressing a journey in this way? Like, wh- what direction does that lean you in? It makes me think of touch, experiencing places mm. through touch, mm. and about printmaking, in a way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't follow. <laughs> <laughs> I I really appreciate that um, the second half of the video is largely what appear to just to be stills, but there's an audio soundtrack that seems quite important when it comes to how we're supposed to feel about these pieces. You're right. So there's like the sounds of the city and pausing within movement. Mm-hmm. Our challenge was eavesdropping. Yeah. Thinking about that. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's a, a pointing to inner workings of the city. Mm. To- infrastructure oh. oh very good yeah because there's uh-huh. the telephone in there and the water oh i think i think Nailed you, it. i think you got it <laughs> <laughs> nice uh yeah so then kate do you do you um uh crave that these prints are then manifest in a sort of gallery setting or is the work the video mm. or the act itself i I do like the video a lot because that seems like the finding, co- the collecting mm-hmm. seems maybe more important than the uh, resulting objects. Yeah, a, a friend of the podcast, Chris Riley, who's been gone from Chicago low these many years, I think he was doing something about rubbings of uh, his sheets, right? So he would uh, have his bed and, you know, the sort of the site of rest and intimacy and so forth. And he would make rubbings. And of course they don't look like anything. And, and naturally the content was coming from, uh, where it had originated as opposed to the aesthetic and so on. Yeah. Wow. Rob, it sounds like Kate uh, nailed it pretty hard. You want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, you guys rocked it. It's, um, yeah. So I was in, uh, Buenos, Buenos Aires, Aries, Buenos Aires. And, I cannot, I get that wrong every time, even though I know I'm supposed to pronounce it right. I even got it wrong in the intro of the last podcast. So I was, I was in uh, Buenos Aires for a little over a week. It's where I dumped coffee into my laptop and ruined my mm. laptop. Yeah. So being in a country, in a foreign country um, is weird, right? It's like, I feel like every, I felt like everything was eavesdropping. Like at, at first I was like, oh, I'll listen in on conversations of people who are speaking English because I'll know what they're saying better than the ones that are in Spanish or something. And they won't like, if you saw me, you'd probably think I do speak English, but maybe they wouldn't notice me or something. And so I was like, Oh, that would be cool. And then I was like, it feels really weird to be like in a country you don't live recording other people, you know, like, (laughs) um, so that kind of freaked me out. And I was like, well, and I, and also I think visiting other countries, especially maybe in South America and Europe, I just walk around way more than I do in any other place. Um, even in Chicago, which is a very walkable city, in my opinion, like you just are going more places and walking more stuff. So I was walking a lot and um, infrastructure attempts to be sort of secret, right? Like it attempts to be sort of hidden, but it, it can't help but be 
partially exposed just because it's a public resource, but also mm. like through material and shape and design and typography and language and whatever, like, and like there, it's need to be repaired. It has to expose itself, but it's a thing like when you live in a place, you don't, you really, it really does kind of disappear. Right. Cause you're just either it becomes so normal or just sort of out of, out of your interests you you don't experience it anymore so i was like so i i do get to experience this place in a way that other people don't and i get to sort of hear hear or see the secret of the city and so i thought i would do rubbings um of those um and it was also a good challenge for me because i'm i don't uh it is like you're standing in the middle of a busy sidewalk like rubbing (laughs) on the ground and like all these people around you look at you or like will stop like in like they just stand there waiting for you to stand up because they kind of don't know what you're doing, you know? <laughs> and so it was very stressful. Um, but, but yeah, I, um, I had a really good time. And so I decided I would record the audio around me while the rubbing was taking place. And I sort of edited it down 15 second chunks. And um, I mean, I think y'all are right. I think the, I, I kept the rubbings, but they really, and they're nice to look at, but I wanted to take stills of them like in situ, so you can see the rubbing laid upon the thing that I I transferred. So you sort of get the context around it, like whether it's a wall, in the case of the electrical outlet, or if it's a sidewalk or something like that. So you kind of get to know the city by the rubbing that you, you don't really get in the way of having just on the rubbing. So, yeah, it's really fun. I wonder if you could turn the paper into a, um, like a uh, uh, reverberant if that's a term uh element where you could actually broadcast the sound using the paper oh like a speaker cone mm-hmm. like a paper mm. oh that would be so cool so, something wow. to think about this is this is why I, I think so many creative people love doing this but you should always workshop your ideas because <laughs> because cool stuff does come up like that like that would be a super rad um to do oh well, two two weeks is nothing. I mean, th- there's so many times that I I come across an idea, and at first I think, well, you know, I can't. It's it needs a time element, uh, but you can also just get as far as you can, um, yep. and yep. then sort of lay that unfinished aspect bare to other people and let them talk about how they might finish it. And yep, yep, totally. Wow, great job, man. Yeah, very cool. I like what you said about being in a new place, being like the best oh, yeah. the best place to eavesdrop because your attention hasn't already been trained on yes, things. Right, right. It's a good way to like untrain it so that all things are sort of equally interesting. Totally. I can only be annoyed like overhearing conversations in an LA coffee shop. You know? <laughs> right. but, but in a foreign country it all sounds so interesting. <laughs> I did overhear in English the word P tape. while you were in buenos aires yeah i was really excited about that and i was like what if this person has the (laughs) p-tape but of course no it was just like some business person nice (laughs) all right should we take a look at uh, kate's work yes we should So, uh, page number one uh, looks to be a bank statement or yeah, of some sort. It says withdrawals mm-hmm. and other subtractions dash mm-hmm. continued. Oh, interesting. 
And then seven ten seventeen, which would be July tenth. And we see one, two, three, four, five transactions, but one of them has been redacted. And redacted in a really um, enticing way. I, I, I really want to figure out what those little letter tips mean. Red line. The first transaction says check card, Walgreens. That looks like a cash back operation. Oh, you're right. Mm, excellent guess. This next day, Popeye's Chicken and Biscuits, Chicago, <laughs> minus 1672. And then 7-Eleven, also on 7-Eleven. Oh, oh. <laughs> numerological conspiracy. Yeah. You went to 7-Eleven on July 11. <laughs> um, but the transaction was 15-29. And one day, Popeye's Chicken and Biscuits, 7-Eleven, and then Sitgo on maybe 63rd Street. Already there's a sort of picture of a person being painted and one yes. can, you know, leap to judgment based on your feelings of, you know, the the type of person that gets cash back at Walgreens or shops at Popeyes or Seven Eleven or whatever. Yeah, there's no time on here, which is a little sad. But the okay, so mm. yeah, so the the challenge is eavesdropping. Okay, page two. Oh, just there's just a star that says locations. But Technically, that's thing. page three, my friend. Oh yes, because page two is blank. Thank you, Taylor. <laughs> Hey, you, you 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 signed up for the academic, and then you get the pedantry just comes along with the deal. Uh, so page five says Walgreens and Seven Eleven transactions are labeled with store numbers. Oh, Walgreens fifteen one ninety six is located at one fifty one North State Street, mm-hmm. first floor, and we have a picture maybe from Google Street View mm-hmm. of this Walgreens, and that is downtown. Second one is Seven Eleven. Is located at fifteen seven eleven number three three seven two three. Is located at fifteen twenty four West Taylor Street. Oh, which is not particularly close to the Walgreens, but maybe yeah. on someone's way home. It all, it also looks like a more the the Google map makes it appear to be a rougher neighborhood. In my recollection of Taylor, kind of squares with that. But then there's a Forever Yogurt, which I don't associate with the up and coming neighborhood. Okay, so now we're switching over to the um, the streets view as opposed to street view. And uh, you can see that there's something really specific going on here in terms of the visits to locations. So it's yeah. uh, labeled, the Sitgo transaction is not labeled with a store number. Google Maps shows four Sitgo locations on 63rd. And a search of the Sitgo website shows the Sitgo locations are nicknamed rather than numbered. So um, there seems to be some kind of classification scheme going on that um, is in dialogue with Google Maps, but also other systems. Uh, And so now it's starting to make me wonder, are these purchases that are being made in uh, geographically significant places? Uh, For example, are we just hitting every X store along a certain street or are we trying to do some of that like geo drawing uh to create a um you know an image from above and i I think all will be revealed was it the zodiac killer the zodiac killer oh dude i could just i could go on about the zodiac killer forever that 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 person was so weird um and did and did so much like unhinged stuff but still managed to never get caught yeah that's a that one's quite quite a rabbit hole there was a whole thing about like 
uh, he sewed himself a costume, which was like a bag on his head with all these zodiac signs on it, and like just uh, okay. Oh yeah, I remember that one. The are you guys true crime fans? Yes. <laughs> yeah, th- this this definitely has a true crime aspect to it. Um, oh, so now we're getting information. What do you see now? So the next page spread <laughs> is. There's known locations of debit card thief. Yeah. July 9th, 2017. Dean Siskel Film Center, Walgreens, 15196 on State Street, then 7-Eleven. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then 63rd. So, so I'm sorry. This is a Google map with stars mm-hmm. at four locations. Mm-hmm. The Dean Siskel Film Center, Walgreens, 7-Eleven, and 63rd Zitco. And then there's an unknown Popeye's location, which we don't know the location but we do know it was a transaction. So we're seeing the transactions we saw on page one now mapped. So I'm assuming that we're looking at uh, an unfortunate incident that happened to Kate, who's kind of turning it back around and trying to figure out um, the, the, the nature of her, uh, her thief. I think you might be right. Oh, fantastic. So now as we, sc- as we scroll down, we're, we're looking in the routes section, which is yeah. perhaps an attempt to uh, recreate the... Um, the stops of a particular day, in this case, two days. So potential order of events. Bank of America could not provide me with timestamps for transactions more than five days old. So uh, I really appreciate the um, ultra specificity in terms of <laughs> when we're seeing, you know, something that's provable versus when we're seeing an estimation. Okay, I spent some time with some very confused Bank of America uh, customer service <laughs> representatives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a. I remember I used to work in a call bank. Kate, have you ever worked in a call bank? I have not. It's as you might imagine. Weird it's requests. Well, it's just completely soul crushing, right? But then, so depending on who, so there's two kinds of personalities that work at the call bank, right? There's those that are not there for life and that are just delighted when they get thrown a curveball, and then <laughs> which was me. And then there's people that are like, please do not make my day, like. Don't make me c- come out of this just stupor that allows me to get through the day in this horrifying job, you know? <laughs> right. Um, I was working at McMaster Car, industrial supplies. Oh, wait, Taylor, before you do that, can yeah. I get your, your McMaster Car voice? Oh, uh, yeah, McMaster, let's hear it. McMaster Car, this is Taylor. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's good. So, the, I mean, this job was just, oh, it was horrible. And the, um, so they were still using a a mainframe, you know, so you had this computer that was like out of THX 1138 and you had to, you know, every window you wanted to navigate to was just a four letter acronym you had to remember and just, oh, it's it horrible. So, so this guy called in and we had call caller ID and I could see he was calling from this experimental military facility. And he said, oh, I'm, I need, I need some gasket. I need some rubber gasket. And then he, he asked for like, 50 feet of it or something Whoa. and i said dude how, like what are you building that you need this huge amount of gasky so it's this vacuum chamber but i don't like to go in there and i, I said go in there man like <laughs> this thing must be enormous and then it turned out it was this vacuum chamber that was like shipping container sized and they would put corpses inside of it in different states of dress and like find out when their eyeballs blew out or, or something based on their uniform. <laughs> and so this dude, this dude was like scared of it and didn't want to go inside, but he was the one that had to maintain it. <laughs> oh so I loved that kind of stuff, but I really got the impression with some of my coworkers that just, 
anything that brought them out of this Zen meditation was was just horrifying to them. So I can totally imagine uh, some of your BOA uh, people pushing back. Anyway, yeah, that one person seemed helpful, and one was kind of sick of me. Yes. Uh, like, oh, yeah, but are you sure? Like, I'm sure it's somewhere. Could you, is there anyone else I could talk to? <laughs> I really like, Kate, you have a sentence here that says, this information is available somewhere, but I am unable to find it. <laughs> Gotta be, right? I see. So one of the potential routes is by car that you've outlined, and then the other one is by train, seeing if you can glue the... Oh, yes. You could possibly glue the routes together either way, I suppose. Oh, okay. I'm catching up with you here, Rob. So, yeah, there's potential one-day route, travel on foot from Gene Siskel to Walgreens, car to 7-Eleven, and car to 63rd, which is considerably further south than the other mm-hmm. th- things yep. that are happening downtown. That's around Hyde Park, mm-hmm. uh, which non-Chicagoans might know as Obama has a house there and so forth. Uh, which makes it sound rather Tony. Hyde, Hyde Park has a lot of mm-hmm. um, housing disparity for sure. Mm-hmm. And then there's another potential route that describes how this is all done without a car. So the pink line and the red line do seem like possible routes for sure. <laughs> this is so thorough, man. I love it. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Oh, <laughs> but it could be the red line and, oh, the bus. Or the tra- mm. bus and tra- yeah. The 157. I'm, I'm just going to assume in advance that you've spoken with the 157 bus drivers of those travel <laughs> Oh, Rob, Rob, scroll down. We're getting to purchases. I have to know. I must know. <laughs> oh. A $100 Ventra top-up. So, I mean, that that's definitely... So, Ventra is the, the current... Uh, Chicago is in love, as we all know, with privatizing um, a public service and then immediately spending all that money and then being in servitude for 20 years or more. Do you, mm-hmm. do you guys find that to be accurate? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> so the uh, sir was my father's name. Uh, so, <laughs> so Ventra is currently the, uh, the, the private company that is um, doing a, a middling job um, uh, running, uh, taking payments for the public transit services, the L and the bus and so forth. So a hundred dollar venture top up certainly is suggestive of the, um, economic position of our thief. And also that they might take public transportation. Like, why would you top up your car if you're going to get mm-hmm. in the car? It's interesting too, because wouldn't, I mean, wouldn't one be able just to track directly to who that venture card is hmm. or maybe the, the police at least. I don't know. If they were to bother. Right. But also a $100 prepaid gift card. Yeah. Which is just generic. generic, And then a Walgreens $100 card. So this is somebody who, uh, you know, probably, it's it's not like they're going out and buying fancy stuff or whatever. They're going out to eat. They're going out to buy gift cards at some place that's known for essentials and toilet paper and whatever. So it does. It does paint an interesting picture of. I mean, the word the word thief is so reductive, right? Yes. Well, I had a. I had a. I've had a similar experience to this journey, mm-hmm. and I I learned something about the the gift about all three of these possible cards, and that you can sell them for cash uh, below okay. face value. Good point. So we we can't assume that this is for personal use. Interesting. 
Yeah, so you, you can sell it for seventy bucks or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And then yeah. I bought it. I got thirty bucks of value out of it if mm-hmm. it isn't turned mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you've see, I was about to go all bleeding hard, and then you talk me out of yeah. it, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> but but now we get to find oh, out the food, oh. and I, oh, I think this is so good. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, <laughs> so the, the Popeye charge is sixteen dollars and seventy two cents. Mm-hmm. And sales tax on fast food we see in Chicago is 10.25%, which means high. the pre-tax price, I'm not doing this math. This math is all very well documented. <laughs> in the Show, your work. Show your work. Yeah, pre-tax price of order is approximately $15. Ooh, oh, it's approximately $15.165 <laughs> or $15.16.5, I should say. Yep. Prices of Popeye's menu items cannot add up to this number, but they can add up to fifteen eighteen, mm-hmm. which is two one and a half cents higher. Potential meals for two people adding up to fifteen eighteen <laughs> could be as follows. Yep. A four piece chicken combo for nine nineteen and a Cajun fish dinner for five ninety nine. This is circled and listed as the very likely option. Mm-hmm. And then the next option is a $4.19 shrimp po' boy and a $10.99 uh, <laughs> price. $10.99 10-piece oh, chicken meal mixed or tenders limited time. Oh, it's a limited it time offer. Limited time offer. It also <laughs> seems a little anomalous to have gotten so much chicken and only a little bit of shrimp. Hmm. Mm, yes. And well, then it, it says on here. The people. Yes, that's true. That's true. If it was a kid. Okay, so it is only possible to arrive at a sum ending in eight cents by ordering exactly two items. Oh, my God. Because all menu prices end in nine. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So that's the most exciting part. I'm imagining Kate sitting in a dark room with red yarn traveling between <laughs> like scraps of paper on the wall. <laughs> yeah, what is that? is that called? A, cra- a crazy wall, right? <laughs> it should be. Yeah. No, this is great. Yeah, because I also then... imagine Kate watching The Wire and and dissecting all the anomalies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the TV editing. Because Rob, we could really go around and around about this, right? Because this could be somebody. I mean, they could certainly just be buying something to eat immediately and then something to take home, right? Right. Yeah. Good point. Yep. yep. And then, so if you were to go into Popeyes, depending on the time of day, it might be a lunch and a dinner. So the four-piece yes. chicken combo. Well. But that one's so much more expensive. I don't know. Is there more yeah. food in the Cajun fish dinner or the four-piece chicken combo? Right. Yeah, I don't know. But it kind of seemed like there were two full meals because you mm-hmm. couldn't really get there with a meal and a side right. because you could only choose two things. In order for the math to work out. In order for the math to work. But almost, Ooh. right? Because yeah. it, yeah. it, it was coming out like a cent off. Fascinating. Yeah. Maybe maybe you've discovered that there's somebody skimming at Popeyes. Or oh, is there like a one cent like oh, yeah. plastic <laughs> container oh, charge yeah. or something? Right. I don't know. Right. It's more research. Little, little packets of ketchup. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Or coupons. What coupons. coupons. Oh yep. yep. But I guess well, whatever. <laughs> Coupon seems like a lot of forethought giving to someone. Well, who, I yeah. I think that this person is a pro given the purchase of the cards. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. Cause it, so it's somebody yeah. that knows what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which makes it interesting that they would also, like if you can convert everything to cash, why not just do that mm-hmm. as a, as opposed to, I mean, potentially, I, I would assume that Popeye's has cameras, but to Kate's point, maybe the cops just are too busy with the, you know, the 4,000 murders happening every day to bother with it. I'm really enjoying thinking that okay, calling the police. Like, <laughs> there was a $13.24 transaction. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm giving you everything you need to know, you idiots. <laughs> so, Rob, I'm looking at the 7-Eleven and Sitco page. Yes, are you there? me too. Yep. So, 7-Eleven, uh, so she figures out the approximate pre-sales tax. Although, although I have to wonder, does Seven Eleven charge different taxes based on whether they're food items or not, right? Or liquor? It's yeah. right. hard to tell. Or Indeed. cigarettes? Yeah. Uh, Can you buy cigarettes for fifteen twenty-six? Jeez, not, I, 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 no I bet idea you what can at this point. Is. I think they're going crazy. Yeah, yeah the, the syntax. But yeah, so so Kate points out aptly that uh, you can rule out expensive items, but then because there's so many little funky items, it's impossible for her to really figure out where those limits would be. It's a cold case. Oh. It is. So we've got two, two, two transactions, one at 7-Eleven, which is roughly $13, and one at Sitco, which is roughly $11. Okay, mm-hmm. yep. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's a tough one. Yeah. That's well, so one thing I remember uh, hearing about, I so I think once somebody tried to use my credit card to buy a trip from Paris to Mexico, wow, <laughs> or, or vice versa, <laughs> and I and I'd lost the car in Detroit somewhere and just dragged my feet. I was commuting there for a gig and I just never got around to fixing it up. And and so what they would do was go to a website that sort of infamously had a you could buy something for a dollar. So it would be some kind of magazine trial or something like that. And these are known as carding sites because once you verified that it would go through, then you would instantly go and try to make a giant purchase, mm-hmm. um, which maybe was more likely because you had tested it. But then it became so common that the credit card companies, if they would see that pattern of $1 and then thousands of dollars, it would just instantly decline. Oh, mm. uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so it, it makes me wonder... Although I don't know, it's Popeyes and Seven Eleven and Sidgo just seem to be really kind of standard charges. But I don't know, Rob. When was the last time you spent twelve dollars on gas? Yeah, it wouldn't be gas. That's no. that's what made me. I was trying to think about that. Unless, well, you know, actually, I, I, there have been definitely times in my life where I bought a gallon or two of gas, but but not with someone else's money. Not with someone <laughs> yeah, else's money. Yeah, yeah. If you're money. hurting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And and with someone else's money, I would fill my tank up. Exactly. And I wouldn't. Yeah. Okay. Good point. Good point. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, oh. Oh. This is the end of the document. Oh no. Yeah. So titillating. <laughs> oh, it is a cold case. Oh no. First of all, I am super psyched by this project. I want to yeah. lay, lay that out there. <laughs> it was pretty fun. Radio play. Yeah. Yeah. Kate. Kate, were you made whole? Where did, did this <laughs> happen? Or then you had to pay for it? Or what happened? Yeah, Bank of America took care of it, which is why it's fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it was just sort of like, this happened last summer, and a Mm -hmm. couple of friends and I had a lot of fun trying to, I don't know, have some kind of revenge by spying on this person. Trying to figure out everything we could figure out about them. 
All right, Taylor, you are up next. So take a look at these pictures. The um, I want to talk to you guys about them afterwards. So there's the technical element will largely be laid bare, but there's a layer to it that is in no way embodied by the work. So just you know, talk about what you see, and then I'll I'll sort of bring up the rear and tell you what else was on my mind. Well, I see a log on the floor. It looks like maybe in the wood shop, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps. Yep. Funny, I thought it was a basketball court. Oh, it does! Look I was like, "There's a log in a basketball court." It's just awesome. <laughs> wood wood floor with that like thinner strip than I feel like you typically see in the home. Hmm. I guess that just looks familiar to me. Yep, yep. yep, you get it. Oh, image number two. Yeah, definitely woodshop because now we see like a a large bandsaw. It's a bandsaw in the basketball court. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's the new it's the new craze my indie <laughs> band yeah bands on the basketball court <laughs> <laughs> and we see what looks to be the bands a band sod log where you mm-hmm. took all the bark off by sort of turning it you know uh 15 degrees or so each turn and then rip, went through the band saw with it so it's mm-hmm. um, been debarked i guess is the best way to put it it looks beautiful yep. Oh, okay. So I see now on the end of the log, uh, a plate being attached with like a receiving threaded area in the center. Like it Mm -hmm. might be about to get a handle or something screwed into it. Yeah. It's like if a plunger was cast iron. (laughs) You're right. This this (laughs) would be like what the plunger is like. But I have a guess that we may see some wood turn only because... I have, Taylor had done that wood turning project in the past, and I then saw a similar thing put on to a log by a YouTube person who was doing the mm-hmm. same thing. And I, this might be the thing that, like, you hold, hold the wood in a lathe with. We have an action shot of the log yes. on the lathe. It yep. looks like mid planed into a cylindrical form. Yeah, and that is that the. I think I think of a of a wood turning, like a I don't know what you call those tools, turning tools. I don't know the like knifey thing that you use to scrape the wood when it turns. Mm-hmm. We're seeing lots of um, bumps. I don't know, Kate. How would you describe like the cut? The yeah, so like the ridges, maybe the result of yes, a, the chisel. Yes, yes. moving back and forth. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. The next image does. Lump, uh, ridges have been largely smooth, and we see a couple of um, gouge, like um, deep cuts, mm-hmm. and a couple or deeper cuts, maybe. Yeah, looking good. Um, it's shorter now. Looks oh, like yeah. image six. Yep, yep. Half of it has been cut off, maybe through cut that yep. incision that we saw in the last photo. That's probably I think that's like eighteen inches. Or- any sense yeah. of how long that log is at this point? Mm, yeah, hard to say. Okay, image number seven. Oh, image number seven, we're seeing a more like a chalice kind of shape. Mm. Uh, so we're seeing a base sort of uh, close to the end of the lathe where it's mounted with a chuck. We're seeing what looks to be like a 
plinth. They're like a um, yeah, like I don't know a, what that's a called. vase with a foot, maybe. Yes, yes, foot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to think about eavesdropping. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know, me too. Yeah. Bonus <laughs> number eight. What do you see there? Have a close up of a split, and now yeah. it looks like a portion is all we can see, but some of the log has been hollowed. Hollowed out. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Number nine, we see that the what we thought was a base has now been cut into four pieces. Mm. Like so, we have three that are just ring wooden rings, and one that's like a little bowl. Yep, a little bowl. And number ten, there. Yeah. Hmm. The components look like they're being glued back together. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. No. <laughs> it's hard to tell if like the grain is continuous or not. Right. Like I right. wonder if they're glued in the same configuration or they've been rotated. We have the vessel. The uh, eavesdropping component, I'm really just going to have to tell you guys. It's it's one of those things, I mean, I always read my students for it, but it's this personal narrative that shows up in no way in the documentation. So <laughs> I should just I should just tell you guys. <laughs> so so my uh my grandmother in law uh died a couple of years ago in her nineties and uh she had this really interesting life where she was um married to a guy that was uh part of the Taiwanese or what would become the you know, the nationalists uh, air force. So as Mao was coming to power, they my understanding is they all fled to Taiwan and took up residence there. And then she, my grandmother-in-law, had come from a relatively well-to-do and politically connected family. So she had these amazing stories about like going out in the stream as a kid and catching eels by wiggling your fingers in the river and then taking them home and the cook would cook them and all the stuff. And she... uh they were driving through um, these really tight alleys uh, in the you know fifties or something in uh, in Taiwan, and their jeep got t-boned, and she launched out and landed on her head, and then she could never taste again wow. <laughs> after that, wow. you know. But was but was still quite a cook for a long period of time. So so when I met my wife, Audrey, uh, Audrey was living with or had lived with the year before her grandmother who was a professor emeritus teaching Chinese at a Washington university. And she said like, listen, I'm going to point to some stuff on the plate and do not touch it <laughs> because <laughs> her grandmother would, um, would cook meat until it looked bad. And as we all know, you know, there's a couple of days in there where meat is definitely bad, but doesn't look bad yet. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, in, in general, you know, thriftiness and the fact that she just was uh, cooking by memory, uh, Audrey, having lived with her for a year, could just like eat a bag of rusty nails <laughs> <laughs> and be totally fine. And so, you know, so I had a relationship with Audrey's grandmother for maybe 15 years before she died. And it was um, something that Audrey and I always talked about because I started to get some ideas about which behaviors on her grandmother's part were sort of immigrant-related or Chinese-related. And so her grandmother, of course, born in China. Her mom, I think, was born in in Taiwan, if I'm not mistaken, but then came to the United States when she was eight. And then Audrey is half Chinese ethnically, but had only visited Taiwan once and with me. 
and and then my my daughter is uh, a quarter Chinese, and 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 so effectively, I'm the sort of like white colonialist sitting off quasi to the sidelines with this with this kind of weird type of access to Chinese culture, but it's really hard to say what's Chinese, what's Taiwanese, what's immigrant, um, and so forth. And like, what ownership do I have over those stories and those experiences is really weird. Mm -hmm. Um, so I made this urn for Audrey's grandmother's ashes because she was such a spendthrift in the later part of her life, when she came over to the United States, she got a divorce and, you know, she wound up being a single mom in, I think, Brooklyn in the 60s or something with you know, two Chinese daughters. And and so, so her financial picture really changed. And then she would do stuff like she had this um, French fry container that had the, um, oh, what was that? It was a Nickelodeon cartoon, the Rugrats. And so she <laughs> oh, yeah fashioned it with a piece of wire into something that would hold cooking utensils in her kitchen. And she had that thing for like 15 years, wow. man, you know? Oh. And so is that like, is that Chinese? Is that Viola? Is that a um, immigrant thing? You know, it's, I've, I've learned over time to be really delicate about the pronouncements I make on the topic, but at a certain point, you know, you're, you're related to these people for so long, you do find, you feel a certain level of ownership over those mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. and so forth. So, yeah. So the log was just a piece of garbage that somebody was throwing out in the street. <laughs> and so I thought, well, you know, like the most fitting urn for uh, Viola's remains would be to, to pick up something that somebody else was throwing out and to make it into mm-hmm. something more interesting. Um, and, and I checked with her daughter, my, my wife's mother to make sure that this wasn't just horribly offensive. And she said, no, no, that, you know, that's totally, that's got my mom all over it. Um, that's so cool. Wow. And, <laughs> and so from a technical perspective, the, the first time I turned that Rob was referring to, I used really nice wood and it was super easy, but this time I was using this green wood that got thrown out and I didn't, mm. you know, take time to dry it first. So it like, it just checked really crazy. Um, which still feels sort of appropriate. So, so the next step is to get in there and maybe, uh, you know, arrest the checking with, uh, with butterflies mm-hmm. and so forth. And just to, um, you know, let, to let the material do what it will, as opposed to just sticking to super nice stuff. It turned so out so beautiful. Uh, it's yeah, it's great. That's so cool. Oh, wow, thanks. Cool you made an urn. It seems, it would seem yeah, daunting to do that. I'm glad you guys read it as a attractive object because when I was making it, certainly halfway through, I felt like, well, this isn't turning out the way I'd planned and I don't want to, you know, I'm attaching it to something meaningful mm-hmm. and I didn't want it to feel like uh, it was just something I, you know, like, um, hopefully you get what I'm saying. It's 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 the classic creative thing where you're pushing through on something and halfway through you think, oh, the, this isn't matching up to expectations, but then you yeah. try to find a way right. just to work with the material and just make it happen. Yeah, right. I had that I had that moment last night just doing the work thing. I was doing some storyboards and like yeah. you get the thing where you're just like, this is garbage. What am I doing? And now you're panicking because <laughs> you're like, this is garbage and I have no other plan. <laughs> right. Yeah. At least you can expect it. It happens yes. every time. That's uh-huh. true. That's true. For yeah. sure. Taylor, what was the, I have one question. What was the, so you cut it into four pieces and I was, mm-hmm. I was, was curious about how that, why that happened. So our lathe equipment 
at school is not set up to make uh, deep interiors. So mm. when you're lathing, oh. right, you need to take, and I think, Rob, you hit the term the gouge. Um, you need to take the gouge and you rest it on a big metal finger that's super stable so that as the wood, so so in all wood or in all material forming, right, you're either moving the material or the cutting surface. Um, yeah. So in this case, you're trying to hold the cutting surface basically motionless. So you introduce it to the wood and then the wood turns against it in order to make the cut. Um, so the further the gouge is extended past that stop, the more it's just your muscles that are trying to resist the the wood as it turns with a big honking motor. Right. Yep. Uh, so if you don't have a setup that lets your gouge get way onto the interior supported, you're just sort of flying out into space. And then once you get a couple inches deep, you start running the risk of taking what's essentially like a toy baseball bat with a huge blade on it and just like <laughs> flinging it into the shop. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so I'd, I'd get like two or three inches deep and then would cut off that band on the resaw and then be presented with a flat uh, work area that I could make another shallow, shallow cut into before I'd cut it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like if you're... If you're if you have a gallon of ice cream, but you can only scoop down an inch or two, you have to cut the surrounding yeah. cardboard from around the outside ring to keep going. Yeah, yeah okay, okay, cool. I Got like it. where you went with that. <laughs> 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 yeah, so that's my tale. Awesome. Wow. You can find photos of our finished projects over at our project site called projects.opposablepodcast.com. We also have links in our show notes, and they are usually chock full of awesome things. And we also post cool stuff to our Instagram account, which is opposable underscore podcast. If you share a podcast episode on social media or rate us on iTunes or do some other cool thing to let people know about the podcast, we will mail you an opposable thumb sticker. So do that and we'll mail you a sticker. Just um, contact us on Instagram, which again is opposable underscore podcast, or at our email address, which is opposable podcast at email.com. Uh, the sticker is awesome. Uh, it's our two Neon Thumb Wrestlers logo. It's written by the mighty Wolf Mask in the UK. Uh, you can check out his other cool art at wolfmaskart.co.uk. He has lots of many great gruesome-looking pizza slices, though. <laughs> I always like um, <clears throat> Oh, we have Patreon supporters. Uh, we'd like to give a shout-out to Blondie Hacks, Nick Kantar, and Walter Pretendu. Uh, they're our top Patreon supporters. Thank you, Blondie Hacks, Nick, and Walter. If you'd like to join them in the League of Patreon Supporter Badasses, please go to patreon.com slash opposablethumbs to sponsor us. And anything you can donate super helps uh, keep the podcast chugging along. Uh, oh, our podcast is dedicated to providing harassment-free experience to everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter, or religion, or lack thereof. We actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. You can check out our full code of conduct over at our site. Guest Kate, do you have uh, anything that you wanted to share, like links or promotion of things, shows coming up? Well, um, I've been jurying the Chicago Art Book Fair, which is happening in November, November 16th to 18th. It'll be the second year, and last year was so fun. There was such an awesome community and selection of independent publishers from all over the country. It was a great success last year and it's happening again in November. That's cool. Nice. Do you know what the location is going to be? 
Um, yes, it's at the uh, Athletic Association. Yes. The Chicago Athletic Association downtown. Uh, the two things that I've got, A, I've been really into immersion blenders. Oh, man. I ha- I have a uh, a child that I need to get vegetables into, and I've been <laughs> making spaghetti sauces with a lot of undesirable, at least to her, elements that go down the pipe super smooth in sauce form. <laughs> so I want to... I want to get everyone on that tip. And then um, uh, I was just writing something for a class I'm teaching in fall for uh, for freshmen. And uh, I found this great comic by the, uh, do you guys know the oatmeal? No. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm throwing, yeah, Matthew Inman. I'm throwing this link up. And um, for a while, and Kate, you probably recall, but Columbia sort of struggled with this whole like, live what you love kind of thing about creativity. And, and, mm. and I feel like it's really damaging to young people to have them come in and just say, Oh, like take that thing you love so much and just keep loving it. And then, you know, that's, that's your art career. That, and that'll never when, work. Yeah. When in fact it's super hard. And so this guy had this great comic about um, creativity where he talks about, you know, having to take a break from creativity and then somebody saying, you know, oh, a friend once told me creativity is like breathing. You just exhale, you know, naturally your art product. And then his uh, riposte was, well, you have to breathe in at some point too, you know, or, or you'll die. Um, <laughs> and so he talks about, you know, reading and other kinds of um, just uh, existing um, and trying to be, because I, I think he manages to make a living on his comic and related um, endeavors. But of course, a large portion of that is probably really frustrating and really difficult. And I appreciate his willingness to be honest about that. Yeah. He has a number of good books as well. which is cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of them is called uh, five very good reasons to punch a dolphin in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and I kind of like, I'm really not into his drawings. I feel uh-huh. like his yeah. uh, drawings are terrible and he, <laughs> um, he admits it to a certain extent I mean, they they really bother me as an artist and an art professor, but I think the the ideas that are down in there are great. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. There's another guy that does one called the toothpaste uh, that is similarly terribly drawn, but the ideas are just you know really hard to resist. If you're interested in having a look at that book we were talking about earlier, yes, um, there's more information and they're for sale at Fernway F E R N W E Y dot com slash D L four four which is yeah. the name of the gun. Um, <laughs> Not just and, the Right. And uh, th- we also just produced a catalog of the past four years of Fernway that turned out really beautiful. It has um, all of the uh, promotional posters we made, all the essays, and then documentation from every show. We did 30 shows. Uh, and there's still a couple of those left also at fernway.com. Okay, Kate, we're, we, we are on tenderhooks. What's the challenge? Okay, so I really enjoyed this one-word prompt, so I'm going to give you another one, mm-hmm. and uh, the word is overkill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. I was just home with my parents, and my dad said, uh, if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. Yeah, so for it's sure. It's kind of a family motto. So, that's a really anyway. good motto. <laughs> I I hope you have fun with it. 
Kate, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Rob and my work, but that uh, that, uh, that <laughs> there's a natural uh, <laughs> Rob. <laughs> right. that, that, that's pretty accurate for you and me, wouldn't you say, Rob? We're, we're prone, yeah. We're prone yeah, just really take it all the way. Nice. Oh man, we can do it for sure. Yeah, I'm ready. Ooh, well, excellent. Yes, Kate, thank you so much. Your project was the bomb. It was the bomb for real. Thank you guys. This was so much yeah. fun. Yeah. Oh, oh. So I didn't. I have to ask. Was it your? How did you? Do you have any? Like, did you lose your card, or did it? Somebody how did it disappear. Got it out of my bag. Was watching a movie at the Gene. Siskel. Oh my gosh. Somehow. Oh, it started at the Gene Siskel. It started. That's where I was. Uh, yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Your project was super, super great. Yep. Oh, good. I'm so happy. It won't sound the same, but it'll work out.